This is the Jesus Habit Podcast, where we're using scripture and science to make your new nature in Christ second nature. Episode 29 for Thursday, October 10th, 2019. Big idea. The promise only becomes a reality for those who are diligent to the very end. Our weekly identity statement, I am moving beyond the elementary teachings of salvation and into the maturity of righteousness. And our memory verse, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. So, who is this Melchizedek guy? Well, his story is found in Genesis 14, 18 through 20. Three verses is all we get. He is referenced in Psalm 110, which the author will quote from later in this chapter. But we get some interesting information here. First, we learn that Melchizedek was both a king and a priest. He was king of Salem. Most scholars agree that the reference to Salem is a reference to Jerusalem, Salem, Jerusalem. So Melchizedek was the king of Jerusalem and also a priest of God Most High. He represented God to the people and the people to God. Second, we learn that his name means king of righteousness and king of peace. His name, when broken up into its two parts, literally means King of Righteousness, and then the title King of Peace is added to his name. He was clearly a great king and priest. We can see this from the story of Abraham. His name was still Abram at the time of this story. Five kings teamed up and took down four other kings. Abram's nephew Lot was living in one of those towns, Sodom, and was captured by the army of the five kings. When Abram finds out about that, he gets a group of 318 men together to go and attack the army that had taken his nephew, getting him back along with their possessions and the women and the other people. When Abram returned from this victory, the king of Sodom came out to meet him, as well as the king of Salem, Melchizedek. Melchizedek blessed Abram by saying, Blessed be Abram by the God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. In response to this blessing, Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything they had just taken back. Then the king of Sodom tries to do one better by saying, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram won't accept it, so that the king of Sodom wouldn't be able to take any claim to the success of Abram. We don't really know for sure what the name Sodom means. Many scholars believe it means burning, as in the final fate of the city. Most of us think of the sin of Sodom as being related to what is described in Genesis 19, and certainly that was a part of it. But Ezekiel also says, Behold, this was the sin of Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess bread, and peaceful serenity, but she did not strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Ezekiel 16:49. The sin of Sodom helps make clear why Abram would have rejected the king's offer. Sodom was known for hoarding up resources and refusing to help the poor and the needy. So, if Abram receives their help, then he becomes the exception. He becomes the poster boy for a town that doesn't help the people near to God's heart, the poor and the needy. 
It becomes clear in Genesis 18 and 19 that there are no righteous people in Sodom. So Abram does not accept the offer from the king of Sodom, probably on the basis of the reputation. But the reputation of Melchizedek was different. In fact, we learn that Melchizedek blessed Abram. It is always the superior who blesses. Blessings aren't given from inferiors to their superiors. So the fact that Melchizedek blessed Abram tells us that he is superior to Abram. And the fact that Abram gave him, Melchizedek, a tenth of the plunder shows that Abram saw him as a superior as well. He gave a tithe to Melchizedek before God had given the law to the Israelites about giving a tithe. Then the author plays on the solidarity mindset of the audience. Where our society celebrates individuality and personal rights, the society of the Hebrews celebrated solidarity among the people of God. They saw themselves as connected. When the author says, one might say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. Through their connection to Abraham, the Levites actually paid the tithe to Melchizedek, which means they too were inferior to the king of righteousness and peace. This is the basic argument the author of Hebrews is making to prove that Jesus is the great high priest, higher than any of the priests of the old covenant. He is of a priestly order that existed before the Old Covenant that some of the Hebrews were running back to. The entire priesthood, based on the law given through Moses, had been supplanted by the priesthood that existed before it. Think of it like this. Prior to the automobile, the horse, and maybe a carriage, was the primary mode of transportation. People could not travel great distances because they were limited by the amount of territory the horse could travel in a day. It took four to six months to travel the Oregon Trail, and many people died because of the difficulty of the journey. Then the automobile came along, and trips that used to take weeks now took days, trips that took days took hours. Now you can drive the Oregon Trail in two days if you want. I've done it. Without getting distracted about whether the automobile is a good thing and what has happened to our society as a result, let's simply think of the automobile and the horse in amoral terms. The automobile is far superior to the horse-drawn carriage in just about every way. It's faster, more comfortable, and when you get a flat tire, you can replace it instead of having to shoot your horse. Why would you go back to the horse-drawn carriage when you know about the automobile? And why would you go back to the Old Covenant when you know about the new one? It doesn't even compare. Jesus is great. www.thejesushabit.com